Just believe, just believe when you call on His name. Can we give Him a praise offering this morning? Oh Lord, you're worthy. We bless you, Lord God. We worship you, Lord, in this building, in this place, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. He inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Certainly. Are you glad to be in church this morning? Glad to be with the family of God. I tell you what, there's an atmosphere that comes when you have a family of God worshiping and praising the Lord. And in that atmosphere, I believe there's special things can take place. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we greet you. Amen. This morning. And just want to say again how much of a privilege it is to be here and I uh, mean it when I say I really uh, consider myself just the least amongst anybody to be able to stand and minister to you and to preach to the young people. But I just pray that the Lord was able to use something that I said that the Holy Spirit spoke to you. And in some way, God could have encouraged you or spoken or answered a question. Amen. I believe lives were changed. We ought to give praise for that. Say, God, thank you for sending the word that changes lives. Hallelujah. Amen. I'd like to say to all my family that's here, my, all my kids that are here, and my wife and Brother Brad, Sister Sarah, Brother Travis, Sister Deborah, who came from our assembly there um, back home. And, and, and yeah, I, I said it the other day, Brad was complaining about how cold it was. I told Brother Joe, I said, Brother Brad's had a, a blood transfusion. He ain't got Tennessee blood anymore, I guess. <laughs> got that South Carolina blood. Well, it's hot and sticky in the summer, so you, you, can, you can remind me of that. Amen. I'll, I'll remind you when it's cold here, I'll send you some pictures I did to Brother Donnie of the sunshine. <laughs> Amen. What God's family, I don't care where you live, where you're at, God, God's family loves the Lord. They're all the same. Doesn't matter. Amen. Got the same spirit. Amen. We just want to say thank you, amen, for having us. And to Brother Donnie and Sister Carol, I just want to say how much we love you, uh, how much we appreciate you, and how much uh, we're praying for you. Amen. Brother Lance and all of the family, you mean a great deal to us. If I could just say that just for a moment. I told Brother Donnie this already, but I just want to say it here. I don't think uh, Brother Donnie would even be aware of how much. Let me just say this this way. I don't think you realize how much just the fact that Brother Donnie's here, his family's here, Sister Carol's here, the fact that they're still standing, he's still preaching, he's still pressing. I don't need any more proof that there's a God who lives. Amen. Hallelujah. You ought to support him. Amen. With your prayers. Amen. They need it right now. So we just want to say how much we love them, how much... Brother Donnie's ministry is meant to us, and, and uh, just consider him to be one of the greatest men that's ever lived. And I say that unashamedly. Amen. I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. His testimony, amen, unwavering, his balance in the word uh, has just meant a great deal. And I know how much you love and appreciate him, amen, this morning. And, and I know that there's believers around the world that would echo that with an amen. So we love this church. We love what uh, you're doing for the young people. It's helped ours, amen. I, our children. 
children come here to these meetings and they're blessed by it. All the young people would say, how many young people would say thank you to Word of Life for having a meeting like this that I could come to? Why don't we give them a hand this, this morning? Amen. We're blessed by it. Amen. Greatly blessed by it. Well, we want to turn to the Word now, and I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 4. We're going to read from two places, Joshua chapter 4, and also we're going to turn to the book of John chapter 16, and I just want to minister to you and just maybe cap off. I still got, uh, just I'm preaching here, I'm going to preach to the whole church, but I just got something still, amen, for the youth, and this is being a youth weekend, amen, that would be for, I believe it would be a word for everybody. Joshua chapter 4, and we're just going to begin reading here at the first verse, and then we'll turn to John 16. I'm going to preach to you today on just something that I've ministered only in a couple places, just what the Lord's burdened me with recently, and um, and I'm just uh, got uh, just a lot on my heart, so I don't exactly have an outline uh, which way I'm going and exactly all laid out, but you pull on the word and God will do the directing. Amen. I want to title this today, Truth that sets you free. And I want to subtitle this, Taking a Stand for Truth. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of man, and command you them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place. Now this is going to be important. Not just anywhere, not just any stone, they're going to cross Jordan, but God actually is going to do something, and he says, I want you to take, go, go into the Jordan, and he says, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm. So not just generically, not just any gospel, not just any, not just any thought or any doctrine or any idea, but where these original priests were going to place their feet, they were going to put their feet firmly in the Jordan, And God says, I want you to go and take those stones out of the exact place where his left foot was, his right foot was, what they stood upon, water baptism in Jesus' name. Not three gods, not three persons, but one person revealed. Serpent seed, it wasn't an apple in the beginning, it was adultery. These were the truths that the prophet of God said would turn your heart back to the faith of the fathers. And he says, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, Twelve stones, and you shall carry them over with you. Leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. Let's go on further. Joshua calls twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel. Out of every tribe, a man. All of the children, Levi, Gad, Reuben, all of them. There was a man representing the entire body of God. Joshua said, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of Jordan. Take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder. Verse 6. Now here's important. That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come. Aha, so what God was actually doing wasn't necessarily for this generation, but he knew this generation would turn away, fall away, but there was coming a generation of children that would start saying, what do these stones mean? And notice he wasn't going to leave it upon a testimony of a dad or a grandpa or a hunting story or fishing story. He was going to leave them the word, the revelation, the stone, and it would turn their hearts back. Hallelujah. 
And he says that this may be a sign. He says that then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Why don't we just bow our our heads now and pray. If you have something upon your heart, just raise it before the Lord. Say, God, come and use Brother Matt. Use the vessel you sent, Lord, to minister to my heart. Jesus, I raise my hand, Lord God, and ask for a special touch this morning. I pray, God, you just move me out of the way. Lord, may I just be a weapon in your hands, God, to tear the lies of the devil down in your family. I pray, God, make me a tool in your toolbox that I could be used for your glory. God will give you all the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. It's an amazing age that we live in, and I'm just going to go filling the Holy Spirit this morning, but it's a chaotic world. I think any of us can identify and say that we understand that very clearly. I want you to understand that the world that you live in is being controlled by a spirit. That the things that are happening today in the world that you live in, it's no accident that the things that are taking place are taking place. There's nothing random actually that happens in time. Because time is not randomly occurring. Actually, history is really his story. And so it's his events. In fact, everything that's happened from the beginning of time, God's already pre-planned it. He's already mapped it out. He's already charted it out. And so everything that's happening in our world today is actually being controlled not by the White House, not by the Kremlin, not even by the Vatican, but actually what's controlling the entire world today is this book. And it's not a book of history, it has history in it, it's not a book of just ideas or doctrines or theories, it's actually a living organism that is controlling the entire world. And it doesn't just speak to the family of God, it also speaks to the world. It speaks to the Antichrist, speaks to the beast system, it speaks to all of the nations of the world, both Jew and Gentile. And the world events that you're seeing transpire today, you wouldn't be able to make sense out of them other than that, that there's a prophecy controlling the hearts of men. How else would you make sense upon an entire world that is turning their back on a little bitty nation in, 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 in the Middle East and that the anti-Semitism, friends, if you just read the news here today, the anti-Semitism that is so infiltrating the, the, the uh, people that you would have never thought. Listen, uh, you may think, well, the world stands for Israel. United States stands for Israel. Let me just go ahead and preach to you and say, uh, they start out as a lamb, but one day they'll speak as a dragon. And the same nation that so reveres in Judean Christian values and, and they, you know, they love the Lord and they support Israel, this same nation will turn its back on that little land of Israel because it's being controlled by prophecy. And the Bible says in the book of Zechariah chapter 12 and through chapter 14 that actually all the nations of the world will come against Israel. I stood there and I couldn't believe it. Here just in August of this year, we were just there for 15 days, my first time ever getting to go there to, to, to Israel. And I stood there on Tel Megiddo, the, 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 the mountain there, Tel Megiddo, Tel meaning hill in, in, in Hebrew. And, and, and it was incredible to look at this great vast uh, valley that I seen. Now here I'm standing at the, uh, where the valley of Armageddon is. 
And I, it was so surreal there for a moment, just looking over this massive uh, outlook where you can just see all the mountains on the left side, and you have Mount Carmel over here, and all of the mountains that you read about right in the Bible. And then in the middle of all of that is this great valley of Armageddon, Megiddo. And I thought, it's amazing. I was telling me and Brother Travis, and I said, it's incredible when you just look and, and look out here that, do you realize that the battle that, that will take place when all of the armies of the earth, the Bible prophesies this, all of the nations, in fact, it will be a, a united nation army. All of the nations, the Bible says, will encompass Jerusalem round about to destroy it. And the, and the scripture, Brother Brandon would say it this way, all of those nations will come in that valley of Armageddon and they don't realize the reason that God has gathered them against Israel is he wanted them in one place to pour out his wrath upon them. And I thought it's incredible to me because the world doesn't realize that the spirit that they're under is a rhythm. It's a certain beat. And it sounds good, you know, people's rights, and you got to be fair to everybody, and there's injustices taking place, and, 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 and you got to be fair, and it's got to be both sides. They don't realize that that same political speech and that same idea that sounds so reasonable to the rational mind is the very spirit that will lead them to the valley of Armageddon one day. And Brother Branham said that that battle that takes place in Zechariah 12, where all the nations encompass Jerusalem, Brother Branham said that great battle will just be the final battle of the war that started in the Garden of Eden. And it's the final battle that will take place. Listen, friends, the things that are taking place today are being controlled by prophecy. I don't want to get into it today as we don't, not really our message or have time to do that. But do you realize that actually that the world, Brother Brandon would say, would have to get into the spirit of destruction before God can pour out his wrath upon them. That before God could ever destroy the world, the people would first have to get in the spirit. And actually, Brother Brandon would show how that the sixth seal was a tribulation seal. But the prophet of God said that even that sixth seal, Jesus spoke of it. In fact, he points all the way back to Pharaoh when he went there when the children of Israel were, uh, were enslaved in, 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 in Egypt. And Brother Branham said he was under a sixth seal. He was under a pre-tribulation anointing. So we understand by prophecy that when the seals were broke, Though we know that the sixth seal is a tribulation. Say, Brother Matt, does that mean that we're in the tribulation period? No, it's not in time. That hasn't actually taken place. But what we understand is that the breaking forth of that sixth seal, there was actually an anointing that those chargers that were loosed at the river Euphrates that would come ecclesiastically and religiously and politically. In fact, Brother Branham said that sixth seal pre-tribulation anointing fell upon a man named Eichmann, Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini? Come on, friends. Are you believers today? And he said that they were under a plague or a sick seal anointing that was released upon them to destroy the Jews. And they don't realize, man doesn't realize. Listen, friends, the Bible, uh, you're, you're living in prophetic times. I hope you understand the magnitude of the moment that you're living in in time. 
that the world is going completely out of their minds. They don't know what a man is. They don't know what a woman is. You think that's an accident? That's real, friends. That's Bible prophecy. And they don't realize they're under a pre-tribulation anointing, getting into the spirit of destruction to destroy God's family. And they don't realize it's corrupting their schools. It's corrupting our, our politics. I don't care if you're left. I don't care if you're right. I don't care if you're libertarian. I don't care if you're in the White House. Listen, friends, it ain't going to take another Donald Trump or another George Washington. Brother Branham says you can put them all on every street corner and the world would still go to hell because it's already been condemned and promised prophesied oh brother Branham said I prophesy to you in the name of the Lord the world will go completely insane and they don't realize that that sick seal has literally anointed their heart for destruction oh but I got a word for the bride of Christ if a sick seal could anoint the hearts of people for destruction how much more would a seventh seal under a seventh messenger put us under the spirit of a body change do you realize that's the spirit that you're feeling today? It's an anointing to take us out of this world one day. And they're literally under the spell or the delusion of a bewitching spirit. It's got a rhythm. I'm just going to get too dear to my notes. It's got a rhythm. It's being influenced by spirits. Uh, the world is at such a place where Paul would say, who hath bewitched you? Let me just say this, friends. The darker the world gets, the more unpopular the truth will become. Now, I'm not talking about a version of truth that's preached in mega churches and, and denominational churches. God loves you. God does love you. He wants the best for you. He does want the best for you. Oh, God doesn't care how you live. God doesn't care. Listen, all it is is about accepting Jesus. And you realize what they've done is they've, they've just taken scissors and they've cut out the parts that they don't like. And they've emphasized the parts that they do like. And then they'll use that to argue against you. Well, you're, what are you saying? Calvary wasn't enough? Absolutely. I believe Calvary was enough. But Calvary was just the beginning. You see, that Calvary cross was just the beginning. Let me give you the words of the Bible. Behold, he's not there. He's risen. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's in your heart. That was just the beginning of the story. But it would get to such a place where the truth will become more and more and more unpopular. Let me say it this way. The message of the hour, to really live the true message of the hour, will become more unpopular the darker the world gets. It's amazing to me the gospel that Paul preached got his head chopped off. The gospel that Jesus preached got him crucified. The gospel Peter preached got him hung upside down. But somehow the gospel that's being preached today fills up with 20,000 people. It's amazing to me, the same gospel that was rejected to where the apostle Paul would say, I, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power. Listen, friends, there was a reason Paul would have to say, I am not ashamed of this gospel. And I believe it's going to get to the place toward the believer will have to say, I'm not ashamed of the message of the hour. I'm not ashamed that God sent a prophet. I'm not ashamed to say it was the voice of God to me personally. But Satan is an intimidating spirit, and he backs us up into corners. We got into a place to where we can't preach the uh, people. People don't want the truth anymore. They want their version of the truth. All right. 
In fact, it would be Cain that was, that was just as religious as Abel was. In fact, contending for the faith, Brother Branham actually said Cain was more religious than Abel was. In fact, Brother Branham would say he did more good works than Abel did. My goodness. So it would be a spirit that would bewitch the church. John 16, listen to this. This is a very familiar scripture. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Not some of the truth, not part of the truth, not one version of the truth, but all of the truth, right? He shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He won't glorify uh, me. He, he shall glorify me, for he shall not receive of mine, and, and shall show it to you. Uh, so Brother Branham said that this is why the seals had to be opened, because Christ had more that he wanted to say. Is that right? And so we know that Brother Branham would make it very simple, and he would say, actually, there's only two spirits that you can be influenced by. And that's so simple, either a spirit from above or a spirit from beneath. Man is only ever controlled by one or two things, right? And Jesus would say, if you love the world or the things of the world. Now, if you look at that word world, it's actually the word cosmos. And it's the structure, it's the opposite of the word chaos. Chaos meaning disorder, cosmos meaning structure or system or order. This is what the world is being led by, a structure, a a, a system, a a certain order that they're being marched by. And they don't realize that their agenda is actually a satanic agenda, though very religious. Remember Brother Branham said, what did did he want? He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted the church. He wanted a pulpit. And I'm here to say he's accomplished his, his purpose. And so, so he's, they don't know even what a man is. Brother Branham says, dear God, I pray you'll manifest yourself tonight. This is an events made clear. I don't have this. Uh, that you will manifest yourself tonight on Hebrews 13, 8. That you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the works that you did then, you'll do today. We, Brother Branham says, notice, you look at these boys. They look so much like girls. Wearing clothes like them. And see, the girls trying to act so much like boys. See, the women and men in this perverted age. See, sex appeal has become an idol of worship. The gospel has been pushed out to one side and nakedness of the lady of sea in church. Oh, God, what an answer. Notice, this is, what, this is the age where men doesn't know what a man is. And you'll watch a man go to one extreme or the other. He'll either be a chauvinist who doesn't really know his position and he's on a power trip of authority and he beats that woman down like a, like a doormat. Listen, God never made her to be a doormat. I'm going to preach. God never made her to be a doormat. He didn't take from Eve from the bone of his foot. Prophet of God would say and make a doormat. Neither did he take from the bone of his head to make him a head over him. But in her proper place, in her proper position, in her proper order, in the man's proper order, in the proper place, according to the word of God, it'll produce the, it'll produce the life of Christ. It'll produce that's what's pleasing to Christ. But you notice what happens is that man doesn't know what man is. Woman doesn't. You think it's an accident The transgender and LGBTQ uh, agenda is happening right now? Friends, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. 
where men don't know what a man is, doesn't know what a, he'll either be a chauvinist or he'll be a little sissy that never takes a stand for anything. It's just a pushover. All right, Lord. Do you know that we had a prophet in this generation and it was a prophecy? He was a watchman on the wall. Do you know what the Bible, the Bible uh, 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 definition of a watchman was? He was to sit on the wall and he was to warn the city of oncoming judgment or of an oncoming enemy. And I'm so glad today we had a prophet who was a faithful watchman who identified the enemy long before he ever got there. But do you know what the gift of the true watchman was? Anybody could identify the enemy when he had his ladders uh, putting his putting his you know battering ram up. Oh, hey guys, hey trouble, trouble! Uh, they, they, they got their battering rams. Everybody prepare for war. You see, any preacher could do that. Anybody can identify fruit, but it takes a prophetic eyesight to identify seeds. You say, well, that's not in the message. We don't have, listen, friends, you have everything in fruit form today. The prophet of God identified in seed form in the message of the hour. Why do you think he would preach against I love Lucy? And you'd say, well, what is so hard? What's so wrong with I love Lucy? I mean, it just seems so harmless today. Seems like, oh, look at, look at what, but do you realize that the seed of I love Lucy is the fruit of what Hollywood puts out today? And a faithful watchman said, kick that thing out of your house. Don't consume it. Don't watch it. Don't partake of it because the seed was a seed of rebellion and a seed of hedge, uh, anti-headship that is now manifesting in Hollywood today. But you see, a prophet has prophetic insight, and he wasn't going to identify. The watchman wasn't going to wait for the enemy to be on the wall. The watchman was going to be able to see a long ways off and say, hey, you know that thing that looks so minuscule and so small out there doesn't seem like much? It's out there now, but when it gets here, it'll bring destruction. And so Brother Brandon would identify the seeds, the seeds of, 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 of Nicolaitanism. Uh, he would, he would, we're not going to go into that today, but listen to what the Bible says. It says in Romans chapter 8, the carnal mind, for to be carnally minded, 8 verse 5, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, you say, Brother Matt, what is my carnal mind? This one. Oh, I've been born again. This one. But I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. This one. You see, your intellectuals will never agree with the Word of God. In fact, it won't make much sense to your intellectual brain. And if you lead towards your intellect, come on, friends. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Brother Brandon would say it this way, the wisdom of man can accumulate and to prove and to show these things why man should do this is contrary enmity. The carnal mind enmity with the word of God you'll never rationalize it out you'll never make it I'm going to give you the words of Spurgeon I love this 
Paul didn't say that the carnal mind was at enmity with God. He put it even stronger than that. The carnal mind is enmity. It is not black, but blackness. It is not at enmity, but actually enmity itself. It is not corrupt, but corruption. It is not rebellious, it is rebellion. It is not wicked, it is wickedness itself. The heart, though it be deceitful, is positively deceit. It is evil in the concrete, sin in the essence. It is the distillation, the quintessence of all things that are vile. It is not envious against God, it is envy. It is not at enmity, it is actual enmity. Now you know why the Apostle Paul would say, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. So we notice what is truth today. Truth is the absolute standard by which reality is measured. Truth is God's view on any subject, situation, question, or idea. Truth is not what a scholar says. Truth is not even what a theologian says. I'll go further. Truth is not what a preacher says. Just because a preacher says it doesn't make it true. Just because a great man says it doesn't make it true. Now, let me go further. Can I bring it a little bit further down? The message is not what I say it is. The message is not what some man in Africa says or some man in, in the Middle East says. It doesn't, the message of the hour is not what I make it. It's not what you make it. Let me say it this way. The message is what it is. Let me make it even clearer. The truth is not what I say. It's not what you say. The truth speaks for itself. Amen. Hallelujah. And so notice what happens. This is exactly what the Bible says. The truth is the truth is not what I make it. It's not what the preacher makes it. It's not what the example that you've seen. The message is what it is. It's God's vindicated word. And it came not from a man, not from a Kentucky hillbilly. It came from the throne of God. Do you realize the message of the hour is not William Branham's message? I know that's unpopular for some people, but it wasn't even his message. A prophet of God said, I was just standing there when he appeared. So do you realize when you walk away from the message, you're not walking away from Brother Branham. I said, when you walk away from this truth, you're not walking away from a, prop, from a, a man from Kentucky. You're walking away from God. Because it wasn't Brother Branham's message. It was, listen, when you rejected Isaiah, you weren't rejecting Isaiah. Isaiah was just the mailman who the message came through. When you rejected Jeremiah and called Jeremiah crazy, called him a false prophet, called him a liar, called him dishonest, called him whatever you want to call him. You're not rejecting Jeremiah. You are rejecting the throne room of God because the message came from the throne into the lips of a prophet unto the people. And so when you were rejecting Jeremiah, you didn't receive Jeremiah's curse either. You weren't going to receive the wrath of Jeremiah. Hello, somebody. You weren't going to receive the anger or the wrath of Isaiah when you walked away from Isaiah. You were going to receive the wrath of God. And let me go further. When you accepted Jeremiah's message, you weren't accepting Jeremiah's message. You were accepting the message from the throne. And when you accept the message of the hour, you're not accepting the message of a Kentucky man. You're accepting a voice from heaven. And let me go further. You don't receive the blessing from, from a man. You receive a blessing from God. 
The prophet wasn't the author of the message. He was just the mailman or the messenger. Do you realize even the book of Revelation wasn't John's book? It was the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. And he bore record of it and the testimony of Jesus Christ of all things that he saw. So Brother Brandon was not who I say he was. He's not who any man says he was. He was who the truth said that he was. And what is the truth? It's the word. It's the thought of God expressed. And it's not communicated by emotion. And it's not communicated by intellect. Let me say this, the, rev- the truth of the hour is not communicated by either emotion or, I- or your intellectuals. All right. You could try to understand it. I could try to draw it out on a whiteboard and try to, on a chalkboard. I could try to paint it out real clearly before you. And you could try with your best to grasp it and even understand the knowledge of it. But Brother Branham says you can have the knowledge and not have the revelation. It's not communicated by a human dialect. It's a language that a human can't speak. I preach it. We preach it. We teach it. Absolutely we do. But it takes God to come and reveal it and seal it inside of your heart. But we live in a bewitching world. A world that says, you know, uh, uh, you've got to have proof. You've got to have a a, a vindication. I'm just going to go ahead and preach today and I'll let the chips fall where they will. Brother Donnie can clean it up after I get done. Let me say something to the young people. Young people, you don't need to research this message. I said, you don't need to research this message. The message has already been vindicated. The message isn't to be researched. It's not to be, oh, did it, did it make sense? Does it make right? Listen, friends, it's already been vindicated, and God put his seal of approval on it. God vindicated it and backed it with his presence night after night. I don't need to have an answer to the critic. I've already got my answer. My answer's right here living in my heart. It's already all the proof that I need is what the message has changed and done in my heart. Let me go further. You don't need to answer the questions of unbelievers. It's a perversion of 1 Peter 3. Give an answer. Be ready at the, any moment to get an, give an answer to every man about the hope that lays within you. Listen, friends, that's a perversion to say I've got to answer every single question. In fact, if you go just a little more, a few more verses, Paul says foolish questions and unlearned don't even answer. Don't, don't even give them your attention. You ought not give it your attention. I don't need to answer. Let me give you the words of my good buddy, Brother Wayne Lawson. I don't need to answer those questions because they're not my questions. They're the questions of unbelievers, and unbelievers will unbelieve. You know what an unbeliever will do? He'll unbelieve. You know what a make-believer will do? He'll make-believe. But you know what a believer will do? A believer will believe the Word of God because that's who he is, because that's what he is. He's a believer. What you'll find in the Bible is you will never find Peter and Paul and these men arguing and debating. You won't find that in the Bible. You won't find Paul trying to get out or Peter trying to get out a chalkboard and draw it all out and act like a scholar and try to give a scholarly answer and try to give an answer that makes perfect sense to the human mind. None of these examples you'll find in the Bible will show you them trying to be intellectual men arguing with intellectual arguments. 
Because the human mind is enmity with God. Do you realize this is the approach of the modern church? A scientific approach towards the word of God. And if you don't have that, if you don't have a scientific approach on one ditch, you're going to have an emotional approach on another ditch. It's what I understand or it's what I feel. All right. But you know, this is the way the world approaches everything. Is they got to have a rational reason to believe something. It's got to make sense. You see, what you find is, is that the Bible prophesied that this age men would become lovers of their own self. Now that doesn't mean they get in the mirror and go, oh man, look at me. At least I hope they don't. Oh man, look at, I just love myself. Listen, friends, do you know that's not the prophecy that would come upon this world? What comes upon this world is a love of self. To where I can understand it. I can rationalize it. I can reason it out. Scientifically, I can prove it. And that's all. Brother Branham said the denominational church was just anointed with the spirit of argument. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You're not anointed to argue. You'll get yourself in trouble trying to do that. That's not your anointing. Your anointing is not a man anointing. Your anointing is an eagle to where you rise all above it. What is your power? It's a power of revelation that God reveals it and speaks it. And you say, Lord, I might not be able to understand it. I might not even feel it. But I believe it with all that's within me, God. I believe it with my body, with my soul, and with my spirit. It was the power of revelation. I heard a man the other day on a, on a YouTube video, good old YouTube. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a scholar. And that scholar was so amazed. It was an awesome video. I mean, I, I love all of it. It was an awesome video, but the scholars, two Christian men, both of them Christian scholars. Dallas Theological Seminary trained, beautiful you know, minds of these men. And that they, they were so encouraged because they had went to an archaeological dig uh, you know, recently of Sodom and Gomorrah. And actually they have found on the Dead Sea what they believe to be the, 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 the ancient cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Two twin cities by the Dead Sea. And these men, these, these, uh, they go into this archaeological dig and they, they ask them these questions of what did they find at the destruction layer? What did they find at the, what destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? And the, the, the man, the archaeologist, didn't want to answer the question. He sort of walked away, shut away, the live stream was on. So they got with him afterwards and said, you got to tell us, did you find arrows at the destruction layer? Because if you find arrows, that means that men destroy the city, some army. And he said, no. What we learned is that they said, we didn't find any arrows. They said, well, how was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? And they said, well, we call it a heat event. <laughs> he said, what in the world's a heat event? And he said, well, what we found was, is we found pottery. And he says, at first we, we noticed the pottery. We thought we had found the, you know, the true dig of the ancient city. And he said, but we flipped it over and we realized that there was glazing on the back of the pottery. And he says, we realized real quick, you know, we, we, the, the, the dig's been tainted because there was no glazing. It didn't come to the Ottoman Empire about 700 A.D. 
And so this couldn't be Sodom. And he said, but there was something different about the glazing on the pottery. And he said, so we took that pottery. We sent it to a lab in New York City. Didn't tell them what it was. We just said, analyze this glazing. And he said, the scientists came back and said, that's not glazing on the back of that pottery. They said, well, what is that? They said, well, that's actually triopatite. (sighs) Well, what in the world is triopatite? And they said, actually, that what you see, triopatite, is when something reaches nuclear bomb level heat. So you know what they've concluded? Sodom and Gomorrah was nuked. I could have told them that before they ever found the proof. It was nuked from above, from a nuclear bomb, from the almighty God, who rained fire and brimstone down. You say, Brother Matt, did that put your faith? Now you believe the Bible? Uh Uh-uh. That didn't do anything for it. Listen, I love it. I believe it. I, I love it just as much as they do. But it was incredible because the man went on to say, he said, you know, I was so encouraged. He said, because I've always looked at Sodom and Gomorrah as a mythical part of the Bible. I couldn't believe it. I rewound it five seconds back. I got to hear that again. I always believed. He said, yeah, I did too. I always looked at that, you know, Noah's Ark. That was just mythical parts of the Bible. Friend, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if I believed there were mythical parts in that Bible, I'd throw it out. If I believed that God just made something up, it was a mythical part, I'd just throw it out. They did the same thing with Pilate Stone. Do you know that I was reading two-thirds of Christian scholars? Two-thirds of Christian scholars. Never believed that Pontius Pilate ever existed. They believed there was some procurator that, that was there at that time, but it wasn't Pontius Pilate. was just a name that the writers sort of just made up. You know what happened, though? I was just in Israel, went to the Israeli Museum, and I found, I seen the Pilate stone. A capital stone, I think it was in the 50s, that these archaeologists came and dug up, and they found this, this stone with the name Pontius Pilate. And you know what those two-thirds of Christian scholars did? They said, oh, I guess he did exist. I guess I do believe it. You know what? I'm so glad that I didn't need a stone with the name of Pontius Pilate, some kind of intellectual proof, but I already believed it inside of my heart. Blessed are your eyes who haven't seen, but have still believed. Blessed are they that believe. I don't need proof. I don't need a newspaper article. I don't need some testimony or some video. I've already got the newspaper article. It's downside of my heart. I don't need to prove it. But what you'll find is the modern church has so deducted it down to a scientific understanding of the word. Do you realize when people leave the message of the hour, this is the route that they are going. If they will be honest and take that same critical thinking that they call it. Yeah, I guarantee it's critical. It's anointed from a demon spirit called a demon of criticism. It's common sense, critical thinking. You got to look at this rationally. You got to look at it, you know, rationally. Got to look at it theologically. And this is how they view things. This is how they approach things. It's got to be understood and that they've deducted it down. You know what the modern church have done? They have so analyzed the Bible that they take a scientific approach that when they are done, Mark 16, eh, it was added. 
The woman at the well, <laughs> we got to admit, is actually not there in the original manuscript. And it was added. Mark 16 has gone. They have so analyzed it. woman at the well is gone. Uh, uh, they chuck out anything that seems unreasonable to believe by their carnal mind as poetry. They have textual variance and textual criticism and eschatology and hermeneutics and apologetics. Let me just go ahead and say, I, I, if you ever get to the point to where we've got to apologize for the message of the hour, we ought to just throw it out. If we got to apologize to people and say, I'm sorry about this, we might as well hang up, friends. Let me say, you don't need eschatology and hermeneutics and, and all of these intellectual things. What you need is revelation. What you need is a demonstration. The world doesn't need a did. The world doesn't need a, an interpretation. They need a revelation that'll produce a demonstration. But she has the word. You say, Brother Matt, what is your answer to the questions? I've got the word demonstrated in my life. Can I go a little bit further? You see, what happens is, is people have got to have scientific educational proof. They'll either go to one side or the other. Yeah, I, I'm not going to get into it today. I had it, but I'm just going to skip it. But you notice that there's all of these isms that you find in truth. And, and you'll always find, it's always so amazing to me, people will either go to one side or the other. Always. There's always a ditch on both sides. Brother Brandon would stand against this as ministry over and over and over again. Let me give you one quote. He says, some people make church a frolic. So others make it a funeral service. Oh, dear God, help us. I'd rather have a frolic than a funeral service, I'd be honest. But Brother Branham says, some people make it a funeral, some people make church a frolic. And Brother Branham says, it's neither, it's a feast. And he says, and the true bride goes down the middle of the road. But you see what Satan will do? He'll always try to get us into ditches. He'll always try to, Brother Branham says, push us off to one extreme. And if he can't get you over on that extreme, he'll get you over on this extreme. If he can't make you a dry-eyed intellectual to where everything's got to be scientific proof, then he'll make you believe that unless you had some you know, chill bump or some kind of sensation in your body, then you didn't even have church. There was actually no anointing there because no one shouted or screamed. Listen, friends, there's a ditch on both sides. All right. There's a ditch on, some, on both sides. It's always amazing to me because I've always seen one or two things will happen with people. You take the message of the hour, take God's prophet. They'll either deify or they'll de-emphasize. I said they'll either deify the words of a prophet and say, say it was, you know, the, the literal voice. Or they'll say, you know what, it was just his opinion. Y'all never heard that? You never, am I the only one? You'll find one or two ways, always one or two ditches. This is the devil's tactic. I've watched some say we don't need emotion. Then I've watched others say we don't need teaching. Others say we don't need dancing. Well, Miriam danced before the Lord. David danced before the Lord. 
Dancing didn't start in the upper room. It started in the back part of God's mind before the foundation of the world. Shouting didn't start in Acts. Shouting started in the mind of God when the sons of God shouted for joy. I give you the words of a prophet. This is an old time religion that we got. This is the original faith that we got. But you watch some cut out dancing, then others who cut out dancing, who, who say we need, who say, others who won't cut out dancing, cut out brotherly love and say it doesn't matter how you treat each other. It doesn't matter if we love our neighbor. Well, all right. Some cut out, some emphasize the gifts, others emphasize the fruits. Some cut out the tapes and say we don't need the tapes, we just need the Bible. Others say, uh, some cut out preachers and say we don't need preachers. Do you see the two extremes always? One say we don't need the tapes. Others say we don't need preachers. Some say we don't need the message. Others say we don't need the Bible. Some cut out repentance. Others cut out grace. It's the tactic of the devil to push us into ditches. But God's family goes down the middle of the road. You say, Brother Matt, then what do we need? You need dancing. You need shouting. You need the fruits. You need the gifts. You need preachers. You need the tapes. You need your Bible. What are you saying? You need all that God has for his family. You need all of the gifts and all of the joy. You need all of it. And then there's a spirit that says, you don't need to quote Brother Branham. Come on, aren't we quoting Brother Branham so much, Brother Matt? I mean, how long are we going to quote Brother Branham? When are you going to get past a prophet? When are we going to grow up and get past? Aren't you just, I don't man, tell me that. Aren't we just carnal always? Brother Branham, we're ashamed of that. Saying, Brother Branham said, and the prophet said, and the prophet said, and the prophet said. Come on, don't, you know, do you realize the spirit that's on that? It's a spirit that doesn't want to surrender to the headship of the word. And so when they can remove the prophet, they can remove the authority of the backing of God from that prophet's message. And then they can get down and argue it to everybody's opinion. We don't need the prophet anymore. Come on, when are you going to get past a prophet? When are you going to stop quoting? I'm going to tell you what I told him. I ain't never going to stop quoting a prophet. When are you going to get past a prophet? I ain't never going to get past a prophet. When are we going to grow up and be mature? I'll tell you when. When we start quoting a prophet and start saying what the prophet said, that's when, that's when the real power of God will come. When we say what a prophet said. Do we need to quote a prophet? Well... Do you realize Jesus lived and preached constantly under the knowledge that he was fulfilling the words of prophets? Luke 18, behold, we go up to Jerusalem and all things are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man. Luke 24, 25, Jesus abraded them saying, he said, oh fools and slow of heart to believe all you mean there's some who only believe some? You fools and so hard to believe all. Oh, come on, say it with me. That the prophets have spoken. Acts 3.24. I love this. Paul clearly states prophets speak to the, to the last days. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel 
and all those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Uh, you know, John the Baptist understood and preached the message of prophets. He didn't need a new revelation or a new doctrine or a new idea. He was just quoting what the prophet said. In those days, John the Baptist, Matthew 3, 1, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. All through the New Testament. And then notice this. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, when even would come, they brought him in who were demon-possessed. Let me get to it. And he said, and this was, and healed all him who were ill in order that it was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. So if Jesus preached the message of prophets, if Paul preached the message of prophets, if John preached the message of prophets, then I think I'll quote from a prophet of God. Hallelujah. Because it would be that message that would turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the fathers. Do you realize Joshua, God understood this. And so God tells Joshua, I want you to take 12 men. And he says, and I, and he says notice this here. Look at it, Joshua chapter 4. And he says, when the priest's feet touch the water. Now Jordan was going to represent death. It was going to represent sin, right? It was going to represent the final death. You could say the crossing over. And, and, and so God tells Joshua, now we're going to cross over Jordan. What I want you to do, I want you to take 12 men. And he says, and you're going to represent all of the nation of Israel. These 12 men are going to represent every single tribe. And he says, and when the priest's feet touch the water. In other words, when they actually put their feet in death. Now, not when they think about it. Not when, they, well, not when they're imagining it in their mind. You see, sometimes it takes action to move God. Sometimes God will wait for a natural thing to do a supernatural thing. Hello, somebody. You think your amens don't matter? When Hattie Wright didn't think it, but when she spoke it with her mouth and said, Amen, Brother Branham. Do you think your amens? Listen, friends, God sometimes waits for a natural thing to send a supernatural thing. Do you know why? Because you, you say it's not important to say amen to the word of God. As long as I just nod. As long as I say, yeah, just under my breath. Do you realize your words have the power to change the atmosphere? Do you realize that your words, an amen, a vocal amen, agreement with the word of God, have the ability to enter into an atmosphere and change the entire atmosphere around you? You might be surrounded by doubt, by depression, by trouble, by struggle. I challenge you this morning, say amen to the word of God. And watch what it'll do to that spirit of doubt around you. Watch what it'll do to that depression around you. It'll change the atmosphere. When you pull on a man of God, what does it do? It changes the circumstances around you. Prophet of God said when she spoke those words, it felt like the room was about to come apart. So it's when these priests put their feet in, not when they think about it. Not when they, when they, you know, when they get bold and boisterous. What the, oh, you wait, wait till what I, I'm going to. Listen, friends, a lot of people can talk a big talk. But it takes a true man of God to put his foot out there in Jordan. Now listen, the Bible says, when they place their feet in the Jordan, 
Jordan, a part. Not the whole river, but the place where his feet stands. This is very different than Moses taking a staff and planting it in the water. And all of the nations, David said the water stood up as a heap. This isn't what happens in Jordan. But actually, it's not going to be the ministry of a prophet. Come on, somebody. It's going to be the ministry of faithful men, priests, who place their feet in the Jordan. And God says, I want you to take those men and have them place their foot in the Jordan. And when they put their foot there, Jordan will part. So the next man takes another step and a little bit more Jordan and another step and a little bit more Jordan and another step. Listen, friends, these men were doing things that no one else had to do. Let me just stop here and preach by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Men of God in your life will have to go through things you never may ever experience in your life. They will face things and spirits, the families of those men, not just the pastor, not just the evangelist, but the families, even the children, will go through things. Those high priests were going to go through things that they would never, you would never understand or even be able to relate with. Because they were bearing the burden of the rest of everybody else. Do you realize the weight upon a man to put his foot in the Jordan? And when he puts there, he's stepping into sin. He's stepping into death. And the Bible says that when they place their foot there, then Jordan will part. And you notice what happens when these men stand there. Come here, brothers. Come here, all of you. You three here. Come here. Come here, brothers. You three here. Come here. I want you to stand. These three face the audience. These three face them. Come here, brother. Come on. Come on. Don't be ashamed now. Come on. <laughs> shouldn't say ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. It's all right. Face each other. One more. Come on, brother. One more. Stand here. I want you to notice this here. This is the order that God wants them to cross through Jordan. Because it was going to be men that placed their feet in Jordan to where Jordan, which represented sin, it represented death, it represented disease, it represented everything of sin would bring with it. And when they placed their feet, Jordan would part, and the families would walk through the priest. They would walk through, and they'd go from Canaan, they'd go into Canaan and through Jordan into the promised land because there were priests who were standing there in the water, and they would pass through. Listen, friends, these men have something on their shoulder that you ought to pray, you ought to support, you ought to say, bless the man of God, bless my pastor, bless his family who's standing in the Jordan for me. Now, what would happen? Let me ask you something. What would happen if this brother who was going through a trial and he let his discouragement get him down so low that he stepped out of Jordan. What happens if this brother got a spirit on him to listen to the, to the antichrist spirit that's saying, stop preaching, close your iPad, just push play. And then this brother over here takes that hard trial and that hard circumstance and he just ain't got the strength to stand up anymore because he ain't got a church that'll support him. And then he steps out. Do you realize what would happen if men of God stopped preaching the message of the hour? Do you realize what would happen if anointed vessels and consecrated men took their foot out of Jordan? Compromise would flood our church. 
Sin would flood our church. Diseases would flood our church. Do you realize what they're holding back? You ought to say, thank God for a man of God who will place his feet in Jordan. Hallelujah. And do we have a church that will say to their pastor, preach the word of God. Preach the truth of God. Give it to me straight, pastor. Keep your foot in Jordan. Oh, hallelujah. You want to thank God for a man of God God puts in your life. I say, preacher, keep your foot in Jordan. Don't compromise. Don't look to the left or to the right. If we ever had a time where we need men to be men. To stand for truth. It would be these stones of where they stood that would literally turn the hearts of people, children, back to the faith of the apostolic fathers. Hello, somebody. Do you realize what the, church, what, the, what the truth and the preaching of the truth has the power to do? It has the power to change circumstances. It has the power to change lives. It has the power to block you from going to hell. It has the power to anoint your faith when you're discouraged. It has the power one day, the preaching of the word will change your, your faith in that word, will change your body one day. Why do you think Satan hates it? Let me say this. Satan don't hate preachers. In fact, he's got a lot of them. What he hates is what's being preached. It would be in Timothy. Let's look at it together. It would actually be in the book of Timothy that would say that they would heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. Is that what it says? They would, let me find it here, that they would have here, they would heap unto themselves in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Turn there with me if you could. We're not going to be, can I have just a few more minutes? And so notice this, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is verse 1. I charge thee, therefore before God. I want you to notice the soberness and seriousness of the Apostle Paul when he says this. This isn't a, you know, Timothy, good advice would be, You know, if you want to live your best life now. Listen, friends, that gospel that Joel Osteen's preaching is a gospel from the pits of hell. Live your best life now. I got news for you. This better not be my best life now. My best life now. This is my worst life now. My best life is where my treasure is. Over in another land, in another dimension, in another city, with real people and real joy and real life. Paul says, I charge you. In other words, I command you, Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus, who shall judge the quick and the dead. He didn't have to add all that, but he wants to show how important, how sober this commission was going to be. I command you, I charge you. Verse 2, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of 
season. In other words, even when you don't feel like it. I tell you what, friends, most of the time, if, if, we, if I'd be honest, there's a lot of times I get up to preaching, I don't feel like it. I got so much discouragement on me. I feel like sometimes I just feel like such a miserable failure and, a, you know, such a, a you know, a, a miserable wretch. Lord, who am I to be preaching? But you know what? I got a commission on my life that says this ain't about you. It's not about your personality. It's not about what I've done for you. It's a gift I've placed in your life. Preach the word. Reprove. Rebuke. But Lord, reprove, re- rebuke. But they're not going to like that, Lord. That's not going to put 20,000 people in my church. But it'll change people's bodies one day. Hallelujah. Preach the word, reprove. Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Do you know what? That's not what people want. They want preaching, but they don't want rebuke. They don't want reproval. Just give me something that makes me feel good. You know, just feel good vibes. Just make me feel fuzzy and warm inside, all good about myself. Listen, friends, that's not always what the Word of God comes to do. Sometimes it does come to encourage. Other times it comes to challenge. Other times it comes to rebuke. We ought to be able to say, amen, Lord, no matter if it hurts. If i got to say, ouch, oh me, oh my, help me, Lord. I was watching a man. I'm not here to criticize him, but it was so amazing. Here he is before his massive mega church audience, 20, 30,000 people. Y'all forgive me for keep tucking my shirt in. I lost some weight since the last time I wore this suit. <laughs> it just cinched this belt up. He was preaching in this, art, this church, 20,000 people. And he's up there and, and he's going to make a statement to all of the transgender community in his church. And you could just see the nerves on this man. As, as I'm not judging the man in, in any way. I don't know his motive. But he was wanting to make a statement. And, he, and he's trying to be careful about his words. And he's trying to walk real real carefully and not hurting and say it the right way use the right words not say the wrong words right pronouns not the wrong pronouns and he's going to try to say and he said and he says we we just want to say to the trans community we love you we we welcome you in our midst we're not here to judge you we're not here to condemn you and you can see the man is just nervous and finally the people just feel and say, start clapping and the whole audience just begins to go in a roar and you get to see the man, oh, thank God I got past that. And I thought to myself, I said, you poor man. You don't realize you're trying to help them, but you'll never help them by petting them. You see, a spirit loves to be petted. It loves when you walk around it and are real careful how you speak to it. And real careful. Let me just go ahead and say it. You'll never help them that way. you got to preach the truth. you got to tell them the truth of God. There's only one thing that will set a spirit free. The truth sets you free. I say give me the bare knuckle gospel. Give me it straight, brother. Give me the pure unadulterated word of God. Give me the infallible, unadulterated mind of God. Do we have a church that feels that way? Preach it to me, brother. Preach me the word of God. You're going to find the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't be men anymore. But they'll heap 
unto themselves, teachers, preachers, having itching ears. Ah, oh, just, just I, I've got to hear it. Tell me how good I am. God loves you. God loves me. I love me too. God wants the best for you. Ah, amazing. I want the best for me too. Do you realize what that kind of preaching does to a carnal heart? Say, Brother Matt, does God love you? Yes, he does. Does God want the best for you? Yes, he does. But you notice this. They'll heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, stories, imaginations, funny comedies, funny skits, funny stories. This is what fills up our churches. A comedy routine with a band. Do you realize that's how mega churches are formed? I read a questionnaire. They go into a community. They're called church planners. Where there's no massive church there. They'll go into the community and they'll send out mailers. And in that mailer, I'm reading you. I'm telling you something real. In that mailer, they would actually have check boxes. What kind of church do you like? Do you like a church where it's dark? Or do you like it traditional with lots of lights? Do you like a band on the stage? You know, more new age, young, uh, young, young, young band. Or do you like more of the traditional kind of worship music? Do you like drums? Do you like, no, do you just like an organ? Uh, how about the carpet? How about the colors? How about the kind of preacher? Do you like a more theological or do you like more of a charismatic type? And these people fill out this questionnaire and they check, check, check. And then they build a church around the likes and dislikes of a community. Do you realize what's so backwards about that? The people have replaced the position of God as the one who's to be worshipped and entertained. I got news for you. I ain't here to be seen. I ain't here to, make it to be made to feel good. I'm here to worship the Lord and say, God, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want, Lord. It's not about what I need. It's about what you need, Lord Jesus. And they're so under pressure. I am so glad I have no denominational board to answer to. I'm so glad that I don't have any group that I've got to make happy or make or, or please. Listen, friends, do you realize that's what our churches, our denominational churches have become? They're so under pressure because they got to please this group or that group or say the right thing to not offend this and offend that. I'm here to say I've got one person to please. I've got one man I want to please. Brother Branham says, what's gotten to the place, as John Wesley says, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. And he's gotten to a place to where, Brother Branham says, they don't, they don't, let me read you this quote here before we get to that. Can I have just five minutes? I'll try my best to be good about my word. Oh God, that's like the pulpit. Where is man? Man. That's man that stands for a principle. Where is women that stands for a principle? You see, you can stand for the word and never open your mouth. 
You can stand. People say, I'll stand for the word. I'm going to go argue and fuss. And I'm going to get into a Facebook argument. And I'm going to get into a great debate with them. I'm going to prove them wrong. Listen, friends, that's not your anointing. You ain't standing for the truth, arguing and fussing and fighting. You say, how do I stand for the truth? Live the truth. Live what you preach. Live what you believe. Brother Branham says, what is a man? Where's a church that stands for a principle? I ain't got a nickel's worth of time for a wishy-washy, give-in, compromising spirit. A woman is a woman, let her be a lady. If a man is a man, let him be a man. If he's a president, where's our John Quincy Adams? Where's our Abraham Lincoln's men of principle? Where's our Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death? Where's a man that stands for what's right? Where's the man that's not afraid to speak out regardless if the whole world is against him? Speak out for what's right and stand for it and die for it. Where's our Arnold von Winkerhead again today? Listen, you know this quote very well. Where's men of integrity? Where's men of spirit? They're so wishy-washy and gummed up until they don't know where they stand. God, let me stand with the principles of one man as a minister. How many could say this? The word of Jesus Christ. But what happens is Satan backs us down into a little corner somewhere and intimidates us. You know, the devil is a spirit of intimidation. He'll back you off of the promises of God. Well, maybe that wasn't for me. Brother Adam says, that's the way in perseverance. I sent this also, brother, if you have it. That's the way you want to get to God. Be on his hands. Every morning. Every night. Every day. Constantly. Just keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Just don't knock a little while. Keep knocking. Just don't knock a little while and get tired and go away. Just keep standing and say, there, Lord, I'm here. I'm not going to leave. I'm on your hands now. I'm going to stay right here. You getting tired listening? I'm having a great time knocking. Because I know you're coming, amen. That's when something happens. He has to get you off his hand. See, he comes out to answer. Now faith finds this. I love this. Now there's only one thing can hold this sword. That's the hand of faith. The hand of faith is the only thing that can yield this sword of faith, sword of the word. Now you might have a weak arm. How many be honest here today and say, my arm is not always strong. Just enough to pick it up for justification. You're so weak. Maybe that's all you can cut through. But the sword of the word will cut free every promise. Somebody say every Every promise that God made in it, if they get a good strong arm of faith holding it there, I believe God for my healing. I believe God for my baptism. God made the promise, and faith holds this sword. Every promise of God can be cut free by the word of God, for it is a sword. But you know what the problem is? Like that little woman, Brother Branham said, she had so many hindrances. You got that, brother? She had so many hindrances, but her faith. I got so many hindrances. How many can identify and say, I've got so many things that block me, 
so many things that still, oh, I want to stand for it. I want to believe it, Lord, but I got so much blocking me. But I got news for you. Your faith don't have any. You might have a lot of hindrances. Every person starts out to meet Christ. You find you got a lot of hindrances, but your faith don't have any. Faith don't have no hindrance. Faith has hairs on its chest. Oh, boy, go put this in the modern world. I tell you what, they'd call you all kinds of names. I'm going to tell you what a prophet said. Faith has hair on its chest. Great big muscles. Reason raises up and said, you know, it's reasonable. Faith pulls his muscles back, sticks out his big chest, and says, shut up and sit down. That's what you want to tell the devil who's plaguing your mind. Shut up and sit down, devil. Get back in your corner. I'm a believer. I'm victorious. I'm the mighty army of the living God. Shut up, devil. Reason jumps right over and sits and takes his stool. You say, I'm not allowed to say shut up. I'm telling you, giving you permission, young person. You can tell the devil to shut up. Reason jumps over in a corner and takes a stool. Faith has got muscles. He means what he says. Just press right on through. Your faith takes you right on. Faith has no hindrance. It goes on anyhow. And listen to this. Nothing is going to stop it. I said it's brawny. It's got big muscles. It's got the four. You need to take the microphone away from the devil and say, give me back that microphone. You don't belong to have it. I don't want to hear what you got to say. I don't want to hear your reasoning and your whispering. I got the microphone now, and I'm going to speak. I believe. Amen, Lord. It's got the microphone. It's got the floor. The rest of them are scared of it. said they'll run from it. It's like smallpox. They just get plumb away, haven't got nothing to do with that. When big faith rises up, say, I know who I believe. I'm persuaded. There is no fear in faith. Faith knows all about it. Faith, as I always said, it's got great big muscles and hair on its chest. Faith says, shut up. And everybody shuts up. You know what you ought to do? Let me give you some real simple principled medicine for that anxiety and that depression. When you feel that spirit of anxiety and depression come upon you, start opening your mouth. Don't think it. Start opening your mouth and reading the Word of God. Start quoting the Word of God. I promise you, when your words and when your words go to quoting the Word of God, it'll shut the devil of depression up in your life. It'll shut that spirit of anxiety up. And say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. They shall cast out devils in my name if they ask anything in my name. And don't doubt they'll have what they ask for. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But you've got to stand up and show your muscles. That's all. Faith speaks it. Faith speaks it. Notice Pharaoh used his wisdom on Moses. Watch. He said, I'll tell you what. I'll make an agreement with you. After the plague's done, eat him up. He said, I'll make an agreement with you. You just go for a little worship three days. Just go so far and don't go no further. But you know, that was just Pharaoh's senses told him to say, told him that. You just go so far. You know, that's what the devil gets people to do. You know, 
don't go out there a little bit, but don't go crazy with it. Don't become a fanatic. Do you know what a fanatic is? It's just a fan. And I got news for the devil. I'm a fan of Jesus. I guess that makes me a fanatic. (laughs) He says, I tell you what you do. You just go so far and don't go no further. But you know what? That, you know what? The faith that Moses had didn't believe in a so far religion. He said, we're all going. We're going all the way. That's right. We're going to the promised land. We don't just go out here and make a denomination and stop. We go on through. I'm going all the way to the promised land. But how many pharaohs do we got? What's the way we got standing in the pulpit, heads of organization. Now, if you'll just do this and do that, that's all. We'll just, you know, we see just go so far. Moses said, oh, no, no, no. Pharaoh said, well, why not? If you're going to have that kind of religion, I'll tell you what you do. Just you. And all the elders go worship. You see, Satan doesn't mind what us old folks do. What he's concerned about is what you young folks do. Because he knows if he can get the young people, he'll kill it by generation. He says, I'll tell you what you do. All you elders just go worship. You just elders go worship because you can have all that kind of religion. But don't get it among the people. You know what Moses said? There won't be even a hoof. You know, just that, that, that lost loved one. Just, you know, they're gone, man. Just, get, just be thankful for what you got in your family. That child, just, they're gone. Just be thankful. This is, this is what the devil will try to tell you. I got news. What you ought to tell the devil is, devil, I ain't leaving one child. I'm not leaving one mother. I'm not leaving one father. We ain't leaving anybody. We're all going. I said, we're all going, oh, mom, you want to let that anoint your faith today and say, you can't have my child. I'm taking a stand against you. That's my inheritance before God. As long, listen to what the says, as long as I'm here, I'm on your hands, Pharaoh. That's who he's talking to. And as long as I'm here, I'm on your hands. I'm not going unless they can go. And what a gallant servant. Amen. I want to take them with me. Well, now, that's Brother Branham says, now he says, well, now, just be, he says, what a gallant servant. I want to take them with me just because I've got it. And I sit down and say, well, now this is all right. No, sir. We want the people too. Every one of us is going. He said, we ain't going to even leave every sheep. We, 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 we ain't going to even leave every sheep or anything behind. There's not going to be a hoof left. We're all going to the promised land. Every single one of us. Satan, I want you to hear me now and hear me well. We're all going to the promised land. They ain't going to leave anybody behind unless they can go. I'm not going, Satan. I'm on your hands day and night. Every one of us, whether you're a housewife, whether you're a little maid, whether you're an old woman or a young man or an old man or whatever you are, we're going on anyhow. There isn't going to be one of us left. Every one of us is going and we ain't going to stop nothing else. You know, finally, Pharaoh said, get out. Finally, Pharaoh said, get out. 
God had just plagued him with the voice of Moses. He struck everything and done everything there was to be done. He stopped. He put the sun down in the middle of the day. He done everything. He blackened the days. He brought the frogs, fleas, lice, everything else, fire, smoke, death to his families, everything else. He done everything till finally, finally Pharaoh had to say, get out, take it all, take all you got and go. Do you realize what you do to the devil when you come to church and you feel so down and so low and so discouraged, yet you still raise up those hands and say I love you Lord it doesn't matter how I can feel it doesn't matter what I think you know what you do you're plaguing the devil with your worship I said you're plaguing the devil when you feel like you can't make it but you put one foot in front of the other and you keep walking and you keep pressing and you keep pulling oh friends one day Satan's gonna say just get out take all you got Oh, how many wants to accept that by faith? Stand to your feet and say, Satan, I'm on your hands now, and I'm leaving with everything that God has promised me. I'm leaving with my children. I'm leaving with my mind. I'm leaving with everything the Lord has promised in my life. Oh, give the Lord another hand clap of praise. He's worthy. How many can say, Lord, today I raise a hand and I want to say, I want to take a stand for the truth. How many can bow your heads and raise your hand and say, Lord Jesus, in spite of everything the devil has thrown my way, in spite of every rock he's thrown at me, every weapon he's used against me, yeah, he's got me, he's stung me, he's blooded up me sometimes, but I'm here to say, I'm still standing, devil. I'm still coming after my promise. I'm not leaving. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to give up now. I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going backwards. I want the devil to hear my voice. I'm going forward in Jesus. I'm going forward in the Holy Spirit. I'm going forward in my life. Lord, I raise my hands up right now and say, God, come give courage to that weak, weary heart. Come give courage and boldness, Lord God, to take a stand for the word of God, to take a stand for the promises of God, not to back down and get intimidated into some corner over a promise that God gave you. Friends, today the Lord's reminding you of his words. He's reminding you of his promise. What do you need today? You'd raise a hand and say, Lord, I'm going to take the sword of faith and I'm going to cut through every hindrance. I'm going to take the sword of faith and I'm going to cut through every hindrance. Everything that blocks me, every lie, every spirit of complex, of doubt, Today, Lord, I'm taking a stand for the principle of the Word of God. It ain't got nothing to do with me. It's a promise that God made in His Word. And He who began a good work in you. How many could identify with a hand and say, Lord, you've begun a good work in me. And I believe, Lord God, that if you're the one who begins... You're also the one who will finish the work that you started. And I'm here to raise my hand and say, finish what you started, Lord. Finish the work that you started in my life, oh God. Come, Lord, you're not just the author. You're the finisher of my faith. You know what, friends? God is not. That's what's powerful. Is he's not just the author. 
He didn't start you and save you just to leave you. He didn't pick you up just so that you can drown. He didn't start a good work inside of you just to leave you on the sideline. You know, in a race, they blow a gun. Pull the trigger to that gun to start the race. You know what's so awesome about this race of life? The same man who blows the trigger to start the race is also the man at the finish line with his arms held out to receive you when you finish your race. He's also, not only that, he's also that encourager on the sideline that holds out a cup of water and says, drink it, child. You're going to make it, child. Keep pressing, child. He's also the encourager. He's the starter. He's the finisher of your faith. Oh, just lean on his grace right now and say, Jesus, give me a fresh drink of water to continue this race, Lord God. Could you play something for me, brother? Sing something if you could. That'd be wonderful. Oh, if you just need a touch from the Lord, just raise that hand up. Say, God, will you come and minister to my heart today, Lord? Come and fill my spirit from my head to my toes with the joy of the Lord, for it's my strength. Come and give me the peace that passes understanding, Lord. They need it today, God. I need it. I raise my hand and say, give it to us, Lord Jesus. In a special way, Lord God, give us that strength, Lord. We fall down, we lay our crown at the feet of Jesus. Greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. We cry. Mercy and love, and to be 
Let's just worship him together while we prepare for the baptism. In the goodness of God. 
someone has went before us and crossed into the Jordan and retrieved some stones. Now we know how to properly baptize. As a little boy at the age of 12 years old, I was baptized. They had to break the ice in January to baptize me. But it was in the name of the Lord Jesus, but Father, Son, Holy Ghost. But God opened my eyes and let me see that someone had treaded the water and opened up and they pulled some rocks out of there. So today, our little brother gets to be baptized the scriptural way. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for our little brother. Lord God wanted to come and take on your name in baptism. We're grateful for the truth. Oh, if Peter could stand here today, he'd look around at our building and look around at the different things that we have here and say, wow, boy, we didn't know the church was going to be like this and grow. But I hear y'all preaching the same stuff. Y'all baptizing the same way. And we're so proud to be identified with that, Lord. I can baptize him in water, but only you can baptize him in the Holy Ghost. This is our part to fulfill in your commission. Father, be with our little brother, we pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus. My little brother, in obedience to your confession of your faith in the Lord Jesus, I baptize you in his name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
praise the Lord this morning. There was a uh, there was a ring found in the ladies' restroom. So if you don't claim it, Michael Bailey will probably take it and pawn it. So if the sister has lost a ring, it'll be back in the library after service this morning. <laughs> Amen. Certainly appreciate the word of the Lord this weekend. Amen. Have you enjoyed the services for the map? Thank you for coming. Amen. Amen. To each and every one of the youth that's traveled here and spent your time and your money, we certainly appreciate you coming and having fellowship with our young people. Amen. Just certainly appreciate you. If it wasn't for you, this weekend wouldn't be worth anything. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us. I think they have some more activities planned over in the gym for you today. Amen. Let's try this new song this morning. Let's just sing this as you're dismissed. There's joy in the presence. There's joy in the presence. There's joy in the presence of the Lord. There is joy in the presence. Joy in the presence. Joy in the presence of the Lord. of the Lord. There is peace in His presence. Peace in His presence. Peace in the presence of the There's nothing like the presence of the Lord. There's nothing like the presence. There's nothing like the presence. 
nothing like the presence of the Lord. I'm changed in the presence. I'm changed in the presence. I'm changed in the presence of the Lord. Yes, I'm changed in His presence. I'm changed in the presence, I'm changed in the presence of the Lord, oh, and I'm free in His presence, I'm healed in His presence, I'm for I'm not the same Yes, I'm changed Forever In His presence Oh, there is nothing like The presence Nothing like 